All right, you're listening to the Level Up Grappling Podcast, the official podcast of PCI Jiu-Jitsu down in Mission Viejo, California. I am your host, Ed, along with my co-host, Coach Brian. Coach Brian, we've got an exciting episode today. We've got a super exciting yes. guest. Why don't you introduce him? And them? I am the fanboy of fanboys. Ladies and gentlemen around the world, you wanted the best, you've got the best. Straight from Redondo Beach, California, the one and only master chris howder hello guys i am humbled that you call me the best and honored to be on your podcast thank you so much for making time to be on the show uh master howder or chris we you know i I first met you i had only heard about you through coach brian and then i had first met you when you came out to mission viejo to do a seminar several but i think it's almost a little under a year ago now just about Yep, yep And so, um, it was, it was, I remember kind of the, the aura that people were kind of like, Whoa, it's, it's Chris Howder. He's here in in the flesh and everyone was super excited. And just like coach Brian was saying, I was kind of fanboying as well, uh, having heard of you and to have the opportunity to have met you and to have, to watch you teach and train in that room was super exciting for me. And so thank you so much for being here on the show. We're very excited. I am humbled uh, that you'd be willing to be on the show, and um, yeah, we're looking forward to to diving deeper into kind of all things jujitsu and all things Chris Howder. So <laughs> cool! Uh, I'm ready. I used to often say that I'm an open book on podcasts, but I no longer say that just because <laughs> you guys know it's too controversial to be too open, right? Wow. No, just a little bit. Well, we yeah. like controversy, <laughs> bit. and I know I have ways to pull things out of him that he probably doesn't want told. So <laughs> I'm going to tone it down, uh, you know. But we're still going to have good content today. It's going to be amazing content. All right. So, um, Chris, how? Yes. Just just to get some of the the basics out of the way. Um, obviously, combat base is your school. Is is your in a sense, your organization. Um, yeah. And so how did all of that get started? Well, the combat base is our once unorganized, now loosely organized <laughs> affiliation that attempts to be the least hierarchical and controlling as we can. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I, I've, always, I've always thought, you know, the martial arts are so hierarchical and structured in a way that I'm generally not a huge fan of. And um, we resisted having an organization or an affiliation for a long time. And then a COVID came and my wife realized that now it is the time. And she quite properly and, very open-mindedly organized us an association that that is welcome to all. I mean, obviously, if you're a scumbag, it's not. <laughs> and it's more of a group for connecting and networking. And for those who are ranked under me and paralleling their journeys with me. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a, a structure that we have that tries to have the least amount of rules, the most amount of inclusion and the least amount of exclusion that we can. Hmm. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, how, how did that ideology 
to because when I think about other martial arts, um, just in general, but even within the jujitsu realm, uh, to your point, hierarchy, you know, this kind of overstructure approach. What what led you to not want to have that? You know, like last night, I was talking to one of my black belts about various martial arts schools and their kids' programs and their anti-bullying programs. And oftentimes, I've observed over the years, because I've been in this thing like 30 years, that some, some not all, some of the biggest advocates of teaching anti-bullying I can remember times in their youth where they were bullies. And it's kind of a, a weird thing. And um, sometimes I think through martial arts, especially with kids, even if the kid was genuinely picked on, we almost teach that to counter the bully, you become a bigger, better bully. And... Mm. I've seen that happen, and as a kid, I was, I stutter, so I was picked on, I was small, but when I look back on it, I would counter it with, I'm just going to be meaner than you, I'm going to be better at it, I'm going to attack you before you have a chance to attack me, or whatever it is, and and I think a lot of times that that, that mindset tends to permeate martial arts. Mm-hmm. And I've always tried to steer away from that mindset, and I try to put a balance into what we do, which really is an empowering thing. It empowers you to physically dominate other human beings, which is something that should be highly respected, almost in the way that a, a gun is is something that you don't want to just say, okay, everybody, you can all come in and next week, here's your gun. I, I, you know, it's one of those things, and I'm not, don't want to get into a Second Amendment but gun regulation topic. Oh boy, do I not want to jump into <laughs> that shit storm. But it's just kind of one of those things, and I'm not saying the government or state should regulate it. I think we oh, as Chris, martial artists should somewhat regulate our our vision when we teach this and like in the last couple years it it, it's where hickson is at now on and it's where a lot of the older group is now even the ones of us who used to be like i'll fight anyone anytime or blah blah a lot of us are realizing that that mindset kind of contributes to a negative way to learn this beautiful art of jiu-jitsu, which is truly, when I say art, I mean to control and submit my opponent in that order, utilizing the least amount of athletics, attributes, and the maximum amount of techniques, knowledge, cunningness, and guile. And that art... That, that's what separates the art from the sport and mm-hmm. the art from the street fight. And when I say that we think street, I don't mean a barroom brawl or a challenge fight or a 
that guy was picking on me and now I go learn jujitsu and next year I challenge them. That's I, I that is just unlicensed mixed martial arts. And you know, clearly humans we have a place that we engage in unlicensed MMA, the street fight, which is a duel. And martial arts, particularly Brazilian jiu-jitsu, comes from a culture of dueling, where when men had resentments or issues with each other, they settled it with a duel. And all cultures have had periods of time in their history in which that was how conflict between mostly men was handled is they would have a duel. And in in a perfect world, it's a somewhat honorable duel where, where the group makes up a certain amount of rules to the duel. Even when, when it was choose your weapon, the, the sword or the musket, and we'll take 15 paces and turn and whoever wins, that will resolve the problem from here on out. That, that was kind of the mindset in which I think all of us had in the early days that, wow, we're stepping into a world of a dueling. Whereas the classical martial arts were almost like pretend land. We'll, we're going to pretend we're fighting. We're going to have a fantasy that we're learning these skills. We'll do our katas and our prearranged sparring, which isn't really sparring. And that was kind of like the other version of martial arts. It was a, a fantasy of what the reality of jiu-jitsu and MMA was in the 80s and 90s as it hit America and then hit the world. And in Brazil, obviously, as everyone now knows, when it hit the U.S., it had come from a culture of a dueling where the point of why you trained wasn't to score an advantage and win an IBJ, the JF grappling rules only medal. The point was, can I enter a no-holds-barred fight, valet-tudo, limited rules fight, and prevail? And, and that was the essence in which the catch wrestling in the early days was taught as well. It was about how do I win in a quote-unquote street fight. And I will dare say it was never about self-defense. It was always about the fight. And one of the honorable things about the combat sports is they don't pretend to be about self-defense. It's about whatever sport it is and the rules that they have. Let's go ahead and test this and see who wins. And that's why I say we think street, we train sport, and we practice the art. Because it's all too often that we mesh and merge those into one thing, and then I think we kind of lose the essence of it, or it creates its own martial art in and of itself as a result. It evolves in a different way. And I was like, I was trying to tell Scott Burr, who's writing my book about this the other day, because 
I sometimes don't like how I word it because I don't want it to sound like I'm judgmental of it. I, I appreciate the fantasy martial arts. I appreciate the, the game of foot tag with um, um, taekwondo. I, I love Muay Thai. I love all the combat sports. I love all the martial arts. It's kind of like you do whatever you want to do. I often say, you know, people say, jiu-jitsu is for everybody or martial arts are for everybody. Yes and no. It's, it's not only that, not that important, but it's, it, it's not for even people who need it. It's for people who want to do it. Because I think in modern civilized world, there are better ways to deal with conflict than fist fighting. Yeah. And, and I say that not from a higher than thou place, but from a place of being a guy who solved problems through fisticuffs, who solved problems through a duel. And I maybe it's just because I'm older now and out of my athletic prime or whatever it is, but I less and less find that part of my own training as my as the as the the, the energy channeling through it anymore. I now can clearly separate the street part, the sport part, and the art part. And what I've fallen in love with is the art part, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I just rambled. I, I, but cut me off anytime. No, it was, it was actually beautifully said because, you know, I, I'm going to, pivot on what you're saying a little bit because I want people to understand just how much value they're getting with what you're saying. So my students a lot of times ask me, well, well, what were you doing in the garage? What was that like? And, you know, am I talking too much to you? Am I asking me too many questions? I go, look, some of the most important lessons I learned from Chris wasn't a particular move. I'm like, anybody can learn moves. I go, it was the amount of hours we spent in conversation educating me on like what you're just talking about, educating me on the arts, telling me stories that I have not repeated <laughs> uh, just for, Thank for you. Uh, you know, privacy's sake. The things that I have learned, which actually ended up developing me into a coach, the conversations we had about years ago about, you said to me one day, Brian, what's the difference between a teacher and a coach? And then you give me like all these explanations of, of understanding the difference between what a teacher does, what a coach does, how to be a bit of both, you know, how to really help people. And so really getting people to understand, okay, this idea of, well, fighting isn't really the best, like you're saying, fighting isn't really the best way to necessarily solve a problem. And I've, you know, said to people, I go, well, outside of, you know, some agreed upon combat where, you know, I had like a match or, you know, kickboxing fight or pancreation or something like that. I got into a fight one time in my entire life. I was in the fifth grade. That was it. I've never had an <laughs> yeah. interest to create conflict or to solve an issue or a problem with physical violence, you know, in the quote real world, because yes. it's really not the way to solve something. It really isn't. No, it's I mean. I often imagine because I I am am an amateur philosopher, history buff, and science fanatic. I love thinking ab ab about various mind experiments, 
And I imagine if when I picture my personality, what it was when I was the most aggressive, if even half of the males on this planet were as bad as me, we would have probably had a war. And I mean, so I'm trying to quote unquote, find the higher truths. What, what, what is good for others as well as myself? And I will say like back when you and Chuck and I were all in the garage uh, training, that was where I developed a lot of my coaching and teaching skills because I would have to try to explain what I had learned from my mentors or whoever it was. What was, was what Hickson calls the essence of the move, right? Mm-hmm. Not the steps, but the essence. And during that period of time, it was kind of like right when YouTube was now, you could upload quality enough videos where you could actually learn something from YouTube, right? It was right at that time where martial arts knowledge was leaving the brick and mortar and going online. And which was a fascinating time. Um, watching this rapid evolution where the combat sports and the reality-based martial arts were borrowing from each other, dovetailing on each other, and all of these arts were in essence changing. The way a high school wrestler wrestled was being influenced by his childhood jiu-jitsu training. And like everything was changing. Jiu-jitsu guys were going to to high-level college wrestling camps. Sambo guys, catch guys, judo guys. Everybody was was trying to find the nuggets of knowledge that each art had. And obviously, the most true sporting test of that is MMA. And People have often said, well, why don't you teach MMA? And I often say, in essence, the jiu-jitsu in which I do teach is MMA-oriented. I just don't want to punch each other in the head anymore. I'm too old. (laughs) I don't want to get my femur kicked anymore because it hurts or clash shins on entries. Um, that's a young man's game. Well, it was fun back in the so day. So <laughs> I tailored my the, the jujitsu style again to think street, train the sports, which perfect your timing and and the application of athletics and against equal or greater athletics. And like I, I'm repeating myself here, but. I find them to all be necessary if I want to continue growing down this path as a martial artist. And I overtalked again. No, it was perfect. You know, Ed had a really good question that he wanted to ask you. And this is the perfect time yes. to ask. Well, so I, I, if, and I've seen this, I've heard it from you, I've heard it from Coach Brian, and I've definitely seen it all over Instagram. Could you go over your four rules? Ah, my four rules. When I started to say these rules was during a period of time, maybe it was 
I think it was somewhere between 12 and 15 years ago, where sport with jiu-jitsu, whether it was no gi or gi, was becoming this thing based upon the rules and what was allowed and not allowed and how to score or how to play to your crooked referee. It became a game almost of who could pull guard first. And <laughs> to the older school guys and or guys who were doing MMA and stuff, it was almost offensive. It was a way almost of chickening out of the stand-up part of the fight. Chickening out of the throwing, clinching, takedown phase of a fight. And yes, it allowed the guard to grow in ways that would not have allowed if you always allowed punches and the guard was rewarded instead of punished. So I was thinking about what is the guard. And, and in essence, out of all the grappling arts, jiu-jitsu, a Brazilian style, we'll call it, is the master of guard. Both having a guard and passing guard. That's kind of like our area of focus, concentration, and expertise. Whereas judo is the upright not grabbing legs and ankle pick, the upright cloth art of the upright clinch and throw. That's their area of expertise. Greco is the nogi, the no cloth area of the upright clinch and throw. Wrestling, the collegiate or freestyle, is the athletic art of never get put on your back no matter back arching fucking what. And that has its place. The, the catch wrestling is the art of finding a submission hold, whether it, it involves pain or not, and applying it as quickly and fastly as you can in a chain. It's chain grappling. And each of these arts have a value, right? Yeah. And I was thinking, just as a martial artist, the hypothetical situation in which I am training for is if God comes down and says, I'm going to have a gladiator match. I'm going to take this guy and throw him in the pit and this guy and throw him in the pit. Not even explain that there are any rules or not and say, one of you gets to walk out alive. That's the fight in which I mean when I say think a street mm -hmm. is somebody is going to die. And that involves everything. Eye gouges, groin grabs, a bunch of the mean stuff. And that's why I say I think street. We don't train it because you cannot accurately train those stuff without losing real timing, real feel connection and motion. Mm -hmm. And too many, quote-unquote, street self-defense classes and styles get so separated from the test, which is the sport, whether there's a referee in the test or it's in what I call Chuck's backyard brawl, it's that's the test. And so during this period of time in which IBJJF was becoming a race to who pulls the guard first, 
I went back to the essence of this and said, rule number one is be the guy on top. Yep. Rule number two is win on top, you stay on top. Rule number three is have a guard that you shall not pass. An unpassable guard. Because the guard neutralizes the shitty fact you're on bottom. It neutralizes it so well that we get addicted to its power. That's the paradox of th this thing. It becomes so effective that we can pull guard to get on top, to sweep, become on top. We can pull guard to lock or choke. We can pull guard, slip over to the back. And if your guard is really good, and you make it to where they have to hold you in guard, if you are in bottom, you get to come back on top. So again, the guard is this paradox, that when you approach it as a paradox, I almost say, you've got to learn guard and fight like you don't want to be in guard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you better learn it. Yeah. You better spend some years developing a guard that feels unpassable, Dynamic and attacking. And then the final rule is never forget rule number one, easily forgotten due to the seductive, rewarding, and lazy nature of guard. Every <laughs> upper belt yep. <laughs> every upper belt knows the feeling of going into class. There's the 25-year-old heavyweight CrossFit purple belt, and you're like, fuck. It'll be easier just to pull him in guard, wear him out, yep. eventually get to his back or on a top, than sitting there having that battle over the takedown. So what we do in order to avoid injury and pain and hard work is us jiu-jitsu guys, because let's face it, it's the laziest of the combat sports. Yeah, We play guard. And we all do it. I do it. Yeah, I love the guard. But the difference is, is like your guard is very dynamic and it's attack based, and it's still with the fighting mindset. Years, you probably won't remember this. Years ago, it was you and me were at the worlds at the pyramid thing, and we're there with Matt Thornton, and we're watching. I'm not going to say who it was, but we're watching a world championship match. Okay between two of the most famous high-level guys at the time. This is years ago, before any of our kids were born. And these two guys pull 50-50 guard and sit there and hold each other's pants for nine and a half minutes. And I'm like asking you, what the hell is this? And you're like, well, this is what it's become. And then what happens? In the last 10 seconds, one lifts his ass in the air about four inches off the ground, they call time. He jumps up and runs around like he's defeated, like, you know, Godzilla or something. Yeah. You're like, yeah. what the fuck is this? How can you sit there and, and be proud of yourself? Yeah, you didn't it's amazing. Fight. You didn't fight. Um, you kind of froze up on it's me. It's okay. We're still, we can still, yeah, it's going to freeze. We, it looks like Riverside's having some issues, but we should still be able to hear each other. And the recording is still going. Can you guys hear yeah, me? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. We can hear you. Yeah, I, I can hear you, Chris. Can you hear me? I lost you guys. I can hear you. 
Keep talking. Chris, can you hear us? Yeah. Okay. Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep yeah, talking. Well, you're good. You're good. Keep yeah. talking. No matter what, just keep talking. They're having some issues today with Riverside. Am I back? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let me walk around. <laughs> see if I can alter this shit. <laughs> Can you hear us? Or we can hear him. He just You can hear yes, me? Yes, yes, we can hear you. Just okay. Keep talking. You just but 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 came back. Shoot. You were right on a perfect point. Yeah. Well, it's just like <laughs> yeah, we're watching that match and it's so stupid because this is like what are these guys doing? These are like supposed to be high-level competitors and they're just doing this bullshit. Yeah. It was during that period of time, and that was a while back before we had the kids, yeah. yes, where, and I won't mention the names, a couple of guys tried to transition from sport, jiu-jitsu, to MMA, world champions, and they lost their one and only MMA fight to an American MMA a purple belt, because you will fight how you train, and... You can't help but fight how you train. And when I say train, I don't mean just the body. I mean the mind, the body, and the spirit. You fight how you train. And yes, it was like that was the period in which not long after that, I came up with my golden rules. I'd say the golden rules of grappling, but ultimately they're the golden rules of combat sports and martial arts to number one be the guy on top number two win on top you stay on top if you're going to do a submission or a move that you risk losing top you better be having an 80 to 90 percent a chance of getting it and then of course rule three which is have a guard too many guys who get too obsessed with being on top, have no guard. And then rule number four, just always return it back to the importance of rule number one, being the guy on top. Yeah. Chris, why do you think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is so lazy? <laughs> Your guys' audio is cutting out on me. Oh, can you hear me now? Check one, two. Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, I heard you, Ed. Okay. Uh, so my question was, why Why do you think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is so lazy? And I guess you can say, I mean, for what it is in its in its nature. Yeah. So, so as a combat sport, it is lazy. Now, when I say lazy, I don't even want, want it to sound um, derogatory. Like, it truly is the easier, softer way to grapple. It's the grappling style which requires the least amount of athletics to perform against people who have greater athletics than you. So there's, there's a plus side to its laziness. Because in the art, I always say, 
when I'm practicing the art, my goal is to use the least amount of athletics and attributes as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. That allows my art to grow. That means I want to be technically more perfect in my frames and my flow, in my arcs and my angles, in my connection to feel my opponent's frames and flow and arcs and angles. So I can do this thing like Aikido, except it works. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes so. So what I'm understanding then is, yeah, I agree with you. It, we, we don't mean the term lazy in the sense of in a derogatory or negative connotation. Rather, in the sense, I think maybe the better word might almost be that there it, it's it is that in its nature because of the sensitivity in, in within the art, right? Between yes. both opponents. Being able like you yes. said, being able to feel each other, um, understand what movements are happening in a sense, are they telegraphing anything? Can we predict anything that's gonna happen in order for us to make split second decisions around what how we're going to react? Yes. Um so okay. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really that, interesting. Clearly, when you look at even high levels there is high-level athleticism involved in jiu-jitsu. There's no doubt. And there's no doubt that athletics enhance your art. But when you look at all the combat sports, there's not being in a guard and having a lot not happen. It does occur in what we do. Or seemingly that there's less exercise happening. But boxing... Muay Thai is constant exercise. Greco, Judo, there are systematic ways of stalling, but at the same time, you're never really stalling because stalling takes work. There Mm -hmm. tends to, to, to be far more amount of physical work in the other combat sports than there is in Jiu Jitsu, largely because of the nature of guard. Because the guard really does, as I said earlier, it neutralizes the shitty fact you're on bottom. Neutralizes it so well that you can rest on bottom in the guard. And when you're adept at surviving in a skilled guard, you can rest on being at top in the guard. So we can both players can spend a lot of time Resting, feeling each other out, um, fine-tuning, climbing, and grips, and all that in the guard. And the other arts tend to not have that. The closest you you would have is a clinch in Greco, where there's an element that looks similar to the guard, where it looks very neutral, and you're pummeling and clinching and reclinching and pummeling, which is one of the reasons why Greco so enhances jiu-jitsu. And in the early days, like Bob Anderson taught the young Machados, young Hickson, some Greco. I mean, that's hence the name of the Americana armbar. It is like something that the American did from catch wrestling Mm -hmm. and but yeah i mean i'm not going to jump all into that because my history of the jujitsu is not that good um robert um drysdale 
is probably the premier historian on this art and sport and how it evolved and who contributed what, when, and how. And I used to say the, the other line I came up with back when, when you were at my garage all the time is what we do is of Japanese origin, Brazilian modified, and American in Influenced. And you could also say Russian. Like, it, it was right at that point of time where it took these other arts and cultures in this globalized world we're in, and I often say, as most economists do, there's good parts to globalization and bad parts. It's nice being able to buy a pack of underwear and socks for $3, and it's bad for our country that you can do that, right? Yeah. And it's the same with the internet and the mixing and meddling of martial arts and cultures. And there was a time, particularly in a lot of the Asian arts, where mixing martial arts was taboo. And there was a time where in the a Brazilian martial arts a culture, cross-training with your supposed enemy or other opponents was taboo. You were Ronin. You, you were Creonch. Uh, and there's an element of that that is respectable, too. Ha having a sense of, of, of a team and camaraderie and loyalty to your coach, your clique, your gang, that that was very much a, a part of the culture. And in the early days, there were guys that wanted to learn just enough jujitsu to be able to use their kickboxing or their collegiate wrestling to be able to counter it. And there was a lot of talk and chatter amongst the, the jujitsu guys of the, should we show these guys our stuff because then they're learning our moves and then there was another camp that was much more the the Dan Inosanto model which is share and they will share back with you and we will all improve and the point isn't whether you improve the point is let the martial art and martial arts as a a whole improve as a result of open source training, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of one of those things with everything. Everything is a yin and a yang. And within each part of yin, there's a yin and a yang. That there's a good and a bad. There's a wrong and a right. A one and a zero to everything that in a quantum way can suddenly flip and change what was seemingly a one is now a zero. Mm -hmm. And that, I believe, it is, is in essence the nature of truth. A truth in which us humans can only dance around the outskirts of because we think in the binary. Mm -hmm. So my whole philosophy where you think in threes is in essence to escape binary black and white thinking. But you also at the same time have to lean in to the black and white. 
it's it, it's like with anything. If you want to understand the middle, you have to look at the two sides as far out as those two sides go. Mm -hmm. it, 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 when you want to learn, I often say that when I teach and when I learn, I always ask myself, what would be the absolute worst way I could try to armbar here? What would be the worst stance I could possibly have? Because often, but then what you find is where the opposite is. And then that, that brings you to a, a conclusion where even if I have the perfect stance, perfect steps, perfect twist of my wrist and all that, I'm still missing the timing, the connection, and feel. Then it brings in and separates that. So it's not this mushy thing anymore. We're separating, and it allows you to analyze in real time what is happening on the mat in the role or in the uh, fight. And that's where... As a coach, I'm trying to bring that part out in you as a, a coach. With upper belts, I'm often just trying to make the upper belt aware of what they already know, but don't realize they're subconscious about how they do it. Mm. I'm trying to point out, see how you move your hip like that? What would be the worst way? And then you'll go, oh, obviously, if I didn't move my hip at all, or I moved it over here. Then by making you aware of that, you suddenly become aware of the better way, and you get to improve it. And so that's my philosophy of coaching. Let me ask you, mm -hmm. let me ask you a question. Uh, I want to yes. dovetail off of that or springboard off of that. So I noticed you've been going to train with Hickson recently yes so i'm curious what do you i mean I, I don't want to sound crude or anything but i'm curious what you're getting out of it because i've seen like the instructional videos or the things that he's doing i'm not seeing anything earth shattering or eye-opening there's stuff that i see that quite honestly i think is flawed technique to be perfectly clear well so i'm curious what you're getting out of it or, or what was the inspiration to go do that i'll tell you this is the thing. And I'll go back first by saying uh, first impressions are both highly accurate and highly flawed at the same time. Okay. When you meet someone, they say you can learn almost everything about them in the first five minutes. And after that, you will begin to, to project and infuse your own biases of upon them. And in the early days, I got a, a feeling and a sense of all those early guys, and Hickson was truly the warrior out of all of them. Hegan was the sport athlete perfection guy. Horion was an incredible instructor. And Hickson continued to develop and grow his art, not going down what I'm going to call the sport rabbit hole. And again, I'm not against the sport rabbit hole at all. He continued growing the art in the essence for a duel. 
And as a result, and as he aged in the art and, and could no longer athletically perform, the art began to change and grow. And when I first began to but train with Hickson a couple years ago, he would say, well, Chris, I'm not going to show you so much new moves. You know these moves. You're a black belt. You're good. I'm going to show you the connection and the essence. What is the essence of this, the technique? Where is this? So what I've, what I've learned so much is what just sounds like a word, a connection. Everybody knows that, right? If I grip and grab your lapel, I'm connecting. But then we go deep into what is a connection? What are you looking for? What are you feeling for? What senses do the feeling? How do I connect what, what, what you've heard me say all the time? How do I connect my hip to my grip? Yes. How do I utilize my hands, head, and hips in a jazz syncopated way to most effectively conduct this simple UPA escape. And I'll tell you, um, until what, what you get from Hickson, you cannot see it all on his YouTube and or the, the Hickson thing. You have to feel it. You really do. And it's that fine attuning that that changes. Now, I, I'm an artist, we all know. Like a lot of times, depending on the art, or you know what it is? The Grand Canyon. We all know these pictures of the Grand Canyon. We look at these pictures, we imagine its depth, we know how big it is, we look at all the stratified layers and all that stuff. But until you have physically stood on the edge and looked over the Grand Canyon, you have not experienced the Grand Canyon. And what I get from Hickson is going to the Grand Canyon and realizing it's not just a picture. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, so and it's also how I try to instruct. And when I put out my instructionals, combatbasebookclub.com, I'm trying to verbally and two-dimensionally visually Display something that is a three-dimensional feel thing. And that is, is a hard thing to transmit verbally and in film or pictures. It just yeah. is. It's kind of why movie martial arts are such a different style than reality arts. Yeah. What, what looks good on film doesn't work very well in reality and all that fine connection and feeling stuff, the slight turning of a wrist, Hickson's minor adjustment of his hip, his relaxation of one part of his body and curling of the other. That's the part that you cannot capture on. Film. So it's interesting you say that because that's exactly what I got from Billy Robinson when I used to go train with the Billy ah. Robinson um, uh, uh, camps is that it's stuff that if you just watched it, you're like, okay, whatever it's basic, kind of like, well, what's the big deal? But it's different when right. you feel the adjustments that he would make of how you grab the hand or where you're, 
making certain placements and how you're connecting. Yes. That's what really opened me, opened me up. And I was like, oh my God, okay, there's so much depth. It's the same thing that I always experienced with you. Same thing also that I would experience uh, with, you know, our, our buddy, Josh Barnett. I remember, so yeah. you remember that, that match you refereed the Metamorris match where he like uh, uh, almost popped Dean Lister's chest. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. So after that, one day I was there, he was doing a camp. So I was there at the camp and I said to him, I'm like, okay, I need you to understand. I need to understand what you, what you did to Dean Lister and how this worked because I'm just looking at it as going, okay, it's just a scarf hold Explain to me. And he was like kind of grumpy that day. And then, so, <laughs> and so he wasn't in the mood. I go, no, I really need you to do it to me. And then he almost killed me. But that experience of how he set up that scarf hold, how he did that compression choke against Dean Lister. And like, I nearly died when he did it to me because I'm way smaller. I was just like, Oh dear God, this is like, this is really serious. Uh, So it's like, it's like you're saying, it's one thing to see the picture of the grand Canyon. It's another thing to actually experience it. The layers, the stratification, the colors and everything in person. Right. And you know, it's a lot like, Another analogy I love is because I'm an artist and I love art analogies. It's like music. You have to experience music through the auditory sense. It's not a visual art. And there's an aspect of the grappling arts, the jujitsu, that when you watch it just on film, it's like watching a band play on bad speaker recording you miss this huge part that you have to physically use with your other senses other than your eyes i often say it it's like it's like looking at at a sheet of written music you can't hear the music unless you're a musician and like I can watch Hickson instruct on film and it reminds me of a feel and a, a connection because I've had him do it on me. Gotcha. I've, I've had him run me through that feel. So even though on the film, it's just step one, two, three, four, when it's been between step three and four, I'm going, Oh yeah, that's where there was a slight shift of weight. That's where, the grip was relaxed. That's what, like, whatever it is. And so, yeah, that's, that's like, for me, it enables me, my jujitsu to suddenly grow because it's coming from a different source. It's presented in a different way. And it's, it's what I call state of the art jujitsu. Okay. Interesting. Chris, to further kind of jump off of that, what I'm hearing is, uh, you know, I'm a white belt, so I'm new into all of this. And one of the things, as you guys are both talking about this concept of feel, and it's not, you know, it's, it's not translated or it's not communicated enough and it can't be through video or just through seeing a picture or, or just seeing the music. I'm starting to get this, understanding just listening to you guys talk about this where i think 
a missing piece that a lot of people may not take into consideration is even when it comes to the feel, I think it's the intention, right? It's the intention of like, you're saying like when you're grabbing a lapel, where's that connection? The connection is, yes, I have an intention, an intent behind this is to understand what my opponent is going to do. That is my intention. The intention is that I am here to learn the intention or in the self-defense situation, my intention is to survive. Right. And I think yeah. that and that sense of intention is something that you can't broadcast yeah. or communicate clearly enough. And I think that's kind of where you're leaning towards, or that's at least what I'm gathering. And not to sound pseudoscientific or woo-woo-y, <laughs> that's what I call the spirit part. The, the spirit in the, the technique or the essence is that feel and the in, intention and energies behind it. What, what, what is the arcs and the angles and the framing and the flow? This, and, and that's where, again, it's music. Because you could have all the right notes and sound like shit. Because the timing is in there. And a jujitsu match is kind of like jazz. You're riffing off of each other. And that's where... I find you capture the essence of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, that does. I think, and so I, I appreciate that because the it, it's hard. I think it's really difficult for a lot of martial artists to clearly articulate what the aspect of the spirit is. Because I think, I think people look at the spirit and it's just this kind of you know feel good, warm and fuzzy feeling sort of deal. And this, this, at the same time, this sense of like, you know, samurai warrior spirit, that sort of deal. But I think from what you guys are saying is it's through this intention, through this deliberate um, desire in a sense to, to acquire information, whether again, whether it's for the, the context of learning or whether it is within the context of survival or it's in the context of competition that without that sense of spirit, there's no growth. There's no sense. I mean, otherwise you you do limit, in, in essence, the martial art that you're learning. And, and obviously in our case, we're talking grappling and jujitsu, that it's very, you know, it's as deep as a, a sheet of paper, right? And it's just yeah. very surface level. And and to that point, I mean, I have a high appreciation for you to, to, to bring that out. And I think... Um, and I, and I told this to, um, to your wife, Melissa, when we had her on the podcast is that I, I noticed that there's a lot of things that you, and from what you're saying and what I'm hearing today is that how that has actually translated into how coach Brian teaches his students. And that's how he's been teaching me. It's like, it's not, you know, if I train with them one-on-one, it's maybe at most, if I were to put a time number 20 minutes of actual physical training, move training, repetition and drilling, but it's probably an hour and a half to two hours plus of just conversation of understanding why we're doing this. I even asked them at one point, it's like, okay, if in in our school, if the theory is, you know, you don't have to agree to the position, we can, we can get out, get out of the position, especially in self-defense situation, why remain engaged? And to, to your point about the guard, we use, you know, we use the four rules all the time. So it's like, why stay in the guard if you don't have to? Why are we staying there? Why is it so comforting to be there? We have these conversations 
And what I find interesting is, so I asked him, I said, why, why am I going to learn or not? I shouldn't say it that way. Why am I going to stay engaged? That's probably the better word. Why do engaged I stay engaged? is an excellent word. And mm-hmm. I often say as important as connection is, so is disconnection. And, and I think we, the, the other aspect of this is time and Everything from big time to timing to micro time. And that is like what what makes the notes actual music is the silent in between. And our lives are such that there's an athletic window in which we have that is not forever. And we only have X amount of time to learn this stuff where we can apply it. I often say it, 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 it's like in order to compete in black belt adult division, you really have five years, 10 at the most, where you have a shot at the world championships. And once you're past that age, it's basically over. And if, the, if you're young and that is your goal, there is a different way in which I train you then if you're looking at the big time way, where you're looking for longevity, you're looking for slow growth. I often say, as, as a mental experiment, I imagine you have three guys that I'm going to train. One of them in a year competes in IBJ, Jeff rules. One of them in a year competes in pro MMA rules. And one of them in a year has a, 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 a an unlicensed street brawl to the death. I'm going to train each of these guys in a very different way. But if I'm going to take all three of them and I'm training them for their life 20 years from now, it's going to look a lot similar to the way I would specifically train each of them. So when I teach in general, I'm teaching for what I want you to keep and retain in 20 years. Does that make yeah. sense? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So, it, so I the way that I'm kind of interpreting, if we were to take the music analogy to it, is that you know you, you go through the progress, the process of choosing an instrument choosing yes. and then learning it right you're learning the basic notes you're learning basic rhythm well, I'm interrupt everything you. and then yep. when you reach this level of proficiency yes you may be part of an orchestra a band whatever we want to call it and i think maybe to where you're where you're at in your journey you're almost you you start to become the the conductor of the orchestra where everybody can play beethoven's so-and-so th- symphony uh, or you know whatever but not but... everybody could play it well <laughs> yes and then even and then here's the more, thing yeah. too yes and, and and like all art there's an interpretation done by the artist mm-hmm. exactly That's how one going. band does this song isn't the same as um, the, the other band and we mostly learn it through playing covers practicing other people's art and there are cover bands out there that sound better than the original band Mm-hmm. Their music skills are better. The vocals can hit higher and lower ranges, and it, it's a tighter. But they will never be that original band's essence, sense, and feel. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of. And then, 
Some people will spend most, most of us will only be cover bands. We might make a couple original songs and kind of, or mashups. Like I often say that I don't really have a lot of original songs, but I have a lot of mashups. And it's interesting because music-wise, I love mashups. I love good uh, covers that put a slight twist on it. I love when it's a rough, grinding, male vocal song suddenly done by female in a softer way, and vice versa. I, I love metalachi doing heavy metal songs, mariachi band style. <laughs> like, there's... That is such a wonderful reinterpretation of art. So I'm trying to gather and gain all these things and interpret it the way I like it to be, the way I enjoy it for me, and the way that that, that is adaptable to my aging injured body. Because my aging injured body can no longer play speed metal. <laughs> But I can reinterpret that speed metal song through a classical version of it. Yeah, that's cool. I love I love that analogy. <laughs> All right, guys, I am gonna have to run off. I got to go pick up my son. Well, this has been awesome. Which we never went went over the trials and tribulations of. Raising children. And, <laughs> well, we're, we're going to come up soon. And we're, we're going to. I tactfully yeah. avoided speaking about any of the controversial topics. <laughs> well, just wait because we're, we're coming to the garage soon. We're going to take a, a group right? class field trip up to the garage. And so we'll pick a Saturday where we can get up there. And uh, any last final question for me? <sighs> Good. What would you, oh, combatbase.com. Yes, combatbase.com. My wife came in and just <laughs> reminded me. I'm so bad. You guys, go to combatbase.com. I should have said that every third paragraph. That That's what Henner would do. Um, Believe it or not, I promote it all the time, so don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, good. Hi, Melissa. <laughs> Hold on, though. Right. We're having a camp. Oh, yeah. Oh, We're that's right. Up in Reno. Base. Camp in Reno, May third through fifth. We we had to change the date back a week because some volleyball crap. But May third through fifth, we're having a camp, Reno, Nevada. We hope to see you all there. Tickets will be on sale very soon. We also have a gi coming out, a um, Origin combat base gi made by Origin. Ooh, um, that's wow. going to be online for pre order only, coming out very soon. Then, of course, there's always the Combat Base Club where you can uh, take a look at our video library where we have over 100 videos, and we're always trying to add more to it. So we hope to catch up with you one way or another. We have a little Zoom session where people can uh, send their questions and get them answered in real life time uh, if you're able to attend. Um, so many different opportunities. Of course, we're always here doing seminars and private lessons and all kinds of things. So we hope to catch up with you. So. Yeah, we'll be up there. We're coming up. We just need to schedule uh, like a Saturday where we can take a group field trip up there. And we can reach in and choke. Yes. 
<laughs> and then of course we'll do another uh level up grappling episode there with the with the both of you and then then we'll get into the controversy we'll see how many how, uh, <laughs> how many controversy i love it da, 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 oh da, i i, I da, got so much we'll da, just start pulling da, one da, thing da, out of the other controversy. <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll do it so this has been awesome that, that's a great a prince a yes. song love prince controversy what a great song. So, uh, yeah, this is great. So, everybody, if you haven't been to the combat base, you got to get over there. you got to check out the website. Everybody knows my affinity and my routine uh, praise of Master Chris Howder and his impact oh, on my life. Oh, thanks. But um, I, I always cringe when I get <laughs> praise and be called a master. I think we should get you a whip. <laughs> yeah, I can have a whip. Yeah. It's kind of cringy. All right. I got to run, guys. All right. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Chris, thank you so very much for your time. All we'll right, see you guys. Soon. See you out in on the yes, match, sir. guys, later. We'll see you. All righty. Have a good one. All right. And for those of us that are still here, remember SanibalSports.com forward slash PCI Jiu-Jitsu. Get 10% off all of your purchases. Anytime you put in the discount code PCI Jiu-Jitsu, SanibalSports.com forward slash PCI Jiu-Jitsu. Hit us up on the Level Up Grappling uh, Instagram page. Don't forget, we're also doing right now uh, this this month, and I think we'll probably do it through the end of the year because I'm feeling generous. And I'm in the Christmas spirit, even mm. though it's not Christmas yet. Forty uh, percent off our distance learning program. We actually had a couple people already sign up for that and take advantage of this offer. So keep in mind, you're not only just getting our curriculum, and you're getting ranked through me. You you know you know we have various styles that we teach and incorporate, but you get uh, coaching calls, which is very very important. It's very different. You're not going to be overwhelmed by a bunch of nonsense that you don't need. You're going to get the stuff that you do need. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very engaging. And again, it's not overwhelming. And it's stuff that you can actually do. You can learn, you can develop it, and you can work towards mastery of the different positions of grappling, which is pretty awesome, if you ask me. So what'd you think, Ed? I mean, we had, we finally, after all these months of trying to get Chris on, we finally got him. Yeah, we finally got him, and yeah, we had we had some technical issues, and so yeah. you know, forgive us for that. And um, if anything, the parts that kind of skipped out because of technical issues, guys, that's an even more stronger reason why you should try to get involved with combat base. Yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, the other thing that I wanted to make a quick shout out for um, is if you are listening to us and you are in the Orange County, California area. We are looking for we're we're looking for ten people. We're looking for ten people to participate in a six month experimental program. Uh, Coach Brian and I have been kind of developing this. We're taking Coach Brian's curriculum and we're trying. We're we've created an experimental way to teach it, or at least for him to teach it, not me. <laughs> I'm learning it. Uh, but that being said. There is a challenge that we are looking for 10 people to take on this experimental program for six months, six months to completely change the way that you learn grappling, 
to change the way that you understand grappling and to completely change the way that you perform uh, in in your techniques and everything. And so we're inviting you guys out. Um, it's going to, it's kind of an exclusivity thing. So hit us up or hit coach Brian up at PCI Jiu Jitsu on Instagram. And to find out more about it again, we're looking for 10 people in the orange County area because we want you to come in and to take physical classes. Not, uh, this is not a remote program. This one is unfortunately, or it's fortunately at the same time for those who are here to go through this again, it's a six month commitment. And there will be, there is special pricing on it, but it's, we really are using this to test out and in a sense, beta test this way of teaching grappling. So if you're interested, please hit up coach Brian. Other than that, I'll get back to, to the point. It, it's always a good time with, with, with Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, 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 I like titles. And so it's weird for me not to call him like master Howder or like professor Howder or something, but the way that he expresses himself in, and I have to conclude that it's because of his artist side, his artist, uh, his kind of expression side, expressive side is that as to how he is able to communicate and no pun intended, paint this picture of what it means to learn grappling and to be in jujitsu and what all of that means. And, and if you guys want to hear, if uh, those of you guys who are listening, if you want to hear stories about Coach Brian's time training heavily or heavily training under Chris, uh, Chris Howder from his early days, show up to class. Come on down. Show up, show up to our classes <laughs> and trust me, something will always come out. Something will always come out. <laughs> nothing, nothing controversial as much as we joked about that. Nothing controversial, but it's it's just really interesting stuff. And, and I don't know if you mentioned this one on the show and I, I'm just going to throw this out there. Do not tell the story. We're just gonna throw this out there about the time that you broke Chris Howder's nose. Ah, yes. And I think you may have mentioned it on the podcast at one point. You I may did. have already told the story, but that is a powerful story. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, I got so many stories, and like you know, he he was very thankful that you know we didn't name names or talk about certain things yeah. today. But you got to remember, guys, this is somebody that I've had a, a very deep relationship w- with for a few decades. And, uh, you know, when, when you have that level of intimacy with somebody that is so connected to really the origin story and the foundation of a martial art in a new country, you're bringing it here to the United States and there's so much, you have no idea. And there's so much I keep quiet about. And eventually when Chuck comes on, maybe he'll hint at things that I haven't hinted at. Um, but there's so much guys, you have no idea. Chris Howder is such a treasure chest of knowledge and information. And this is nothing. I mean, us spending an hour with him, it's just like, dude, that's to me, is like a one sprinkle on top of a cupcake. It's not enough for me. You know, I can sit with him for hours and just talk, um, because he has so much to give. And I highly encourage all of you, if you have the opportunity to get him out for a seminar uh, at your area, please do. If you have the opportunity to get onto the combat base club um, and join, please do. Uh, it's he's, he's wonderful. If you haven't gone to the BJJ fanatics and get his videos, you can go to a BJJ fanatics, get his videos. Um, I feel blessed that I'm one of the few people on this planet that got to spend the hours in the garage with him. Right. And like he was saying, it's different to see a picture of the Grand Canyon. It's another thing to actually get in there and witness it 
yourself. Um, these are experiences that nobody can take from me. And basically at the end of the day, what I consider my job is to now pass that to my students. So I do the best that I can to give them that expression and the, you know, everything that Chris Howder gave me and bring that and put that alive on the mat every day in class. So, uh, anyways, this has really been fun. So I'm happy. We'll do it, it again. It really has. Very deep conversation. Very yeah. deep conversation. So we'll have more. All right, guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. Thank you.